Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You think about the person in your life when you started believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifices. And I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, I want them talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy and a man who always offers a layer of protection to his teammates, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. That's me. Uh, Nathan, before we before we start the podcast proper, I wanted to get your thoughts on this uh, rating and review we received <laughs> about the pod. Um, this person said, title, the football part is good. Rating, four stars. Comment, five-star analysis and football talk that helps the Spurs fan in Canada connect with the club and fan base. A star taken off for the 20% of the pod where Wendy and Nathan sadly spend time trying to push socialism on all the listeners. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs> that from Coys Alberta. Thank you very much, Coys Alberta, for your um, somewhat kind review. You two are ruining my my stars. <laughs> I, I, I got five stars. You two ruined it for me. Dragging you down, yeah. <laughs> throwing the ball in the back of a run at the end. Exactly. <laughs> when we're five up, when I posted that on Twitter, and uh, all the Canadians went off on on Alberta. There, <laughs> that, that's yeah, of course, typical Alberta, right? And I uh, see, I see, I and see. then a few people who've never heard the pod before, uh, who are politically inclined, went, "Oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast." But like, we we didn't even talk about socialism last week or the week before that. So I just want to say, um, decades of liberal capitalism has brought us to. <laughs> the edge of economic and ecological collapse and the only choices before us are fascism or socialism and we have to choose immediately seems reasonable uh we we also received this email from jacob lewis which i which i really liked so he says jacob here in nashville tennessee me and my mate patrick are thoroughly enjoying our enjoy your lunch mugs i got him up for christmas we can both caffeinate in the warm embrace of Ange. But it got me thinking, isn't it just wild that an Australian coach can come to North London and be both a great gaffer, but also a cultural force? Me and my Spurs friends in Nashville literally end conversations now by saying, enjoy your lunch, and mate is now part of our common vernacular. Cheers to my Spurs mates, Newton, Christian, Griffin, and Patrick in Nashville. Thank you so much, Jacob. So uh, those mugs uh, we we are selling on uh, via our website, extrange.co.uk. Um, check them out, but uh, yes, Bardi, you've got an Ange mug as well, haven't you? Mm, no, I don't. I don't actually have an Ange mug. I have a, oh. 
my my wife wears an Ange Postacoglu um, hoodie, which says "Enjoy oh, yeah. your lunch" on the back, and quite often she gets asked about what that means, and she she has no idea. So <laughs> I have to keep <laughs> amazing. I have to keep telling her what it means. And she goes, "But that doesn't make any sense." And I'm like, "It's it's football, and it's you know it's football. It's social media football. No, it makes no sense." So I think she starts to get a little bit embarrassed by it. Nice. Um, I think we should always carry a link to that YouTube, the, the timestamp of that particular YouTube clip in case anyone asks and we can just like hold up a QR code for them to scan so they can just take it in themselves. We'll get that on the next line of hoodies, the QR code. <laughs> Uh, thanks to the following also for their lovely emails um ben webb Eamon millican which was an amazing email um lewis tucker kieran pedley ben norris ivan victor paul maslin mark astoria len demano aiden kiernan eric s keith Stahl, josh emden peter d tom smudger smith david lodge phil mayo joshua almeida matt healing alec dekrinsky mitch yen castoff and tobias howlett thank you so much to all of you for getting in touch we really do appreciate hearing from our listeners uh, a couple of the people uh, i just mentioned are are vaguely famous actually in in their own ways i'm not going to say who because i don't want to embarrass mm. them but it got me thinking i wonder who our most famous listener is are you aware of any famous people who listen to the extra inch none are coming to mind no, there's got to be someone though. What I would really like, and I wouldn't reveal, but if you're famous, oh yeah, and you're people to the who are famous love writing in about how famous they are. Windy, good one. <laughs> it's a Venn diagram that um, would float my boat. I, I want you to email me podcast at the and and tell me that you're a listener and uh, and yeah, rank, rate your fame. Get <laughs> your own fame out of ten. Um, yeah, there's yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if you're a one, do not contact us. Do not write in if you're a one. We don't want any more sub, ones. Sub, sub five is just going to keep me busy in the emails for a while. Uh, I want, I want six and above. <laughs> it would, this is quite. I'm quite curious in, in about the scale this. that I've just made up. Yeah, no, it'd be really nice if um, like a, a top chef just was involved, and then he invited us all around for dinner. But I'm, pl- I'm planting the seed there. That'd be good. <laughs> Uh, there are there are some famous Spurs fans, of course. I just have no idea if any of them listen to the pod, but it'd be cool if we did. Um, we also got these comments about the post-match reaction pods that I've been doing for the X-Subs. So Baker said, love the reaction pods. I think they're a huge addition to the Patreon. And Maurizio said, I'm really enjoying the post-game pods. My game experience isn't done until I listen to it. It's become that important. Well, we Maurizio, should, um, uh, if- Maurizio should stop listening to our post-game pods and actually concentrate on managing his football team. Maybe that's the... <laughs> that's, that's the downfall this Maurizio is Brazilian I believe and not Argentinian so definitely a, a different person um, patreon.com forward slash the extra inch if you like the sound of post game pods and obviously there's a whole bunch of other stuff including Nathan's videos which we'll talk about a little later we should get into talking about the football really we've got two matches to consider firstly we'll do the most recent we'll do Everton um, it felt to me as though we got fully diced yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Okay, um, 
I, uh, I've rewatched this game back a few times and it's not the easiest watch, right? Because fucking every time Everton are pressing high in this game, right? And this is this is very much part of the Daesh experience. I know people think of him as being a low block coach and sometimes he is, but he also will have his teams press high quite a lot. And he's pressed high quite a bit against us with Everton, with Burnley before. But the way they do that is that they will push up high in a non-committal way, right? They will walk all the way up to you with the ball, but they won't necessarily make a challenge anytime soon. They're just being there, being a presence, being annoying. Um, and what that means is creates an urgency for us on the ball in our own in our own box, in our own half, um, but also means that they're not open to the break. And the way that we've been playing that's been more apparent over the last few weeks, uh, uh, maybe not more apparent, but more more noteworthy part of the narrative is that, you know, we attack with like full intensity at every opportunity, right? So it's like, oh, Everton have come to press us, sprint with the ball, play the th- through ball at the first opportunity, go, 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 go. And then like Everton actually haven't committed that many players. So there's not actually that much space to break into, right? And we're yeah. rushing into these like 4v5, 3v4 situations. And don't get me wrong, like those are still good situations. And we did score two goals against Everton and we did score three goals against Brentford doing those things, right? But it also means that a lot of the time we're rushing the ball out of play. (laughs) And then the camera director's like, oh, look at these fans in the sign with their little homemade signs that say the league are corrupt, like their own fucking football club didn't waste half a billion quid on dog shit players, right? Um, so it's hard to get a feel for the for the for the specific, for the details in this game because the ball's hardly in play. Um, it feels like. Well, basically, what it means is, and this is true of Everton game, this is true of the Brentford game, this has been true of, of a lot of the last several weeks, is we have little control over the game. We've got attacking threat, we've got attacking intensity, and we've got some counter pressing ability and prowess in order to win the ball back. But we we are experiencing very little sustained control. We're never, or we're very rarely, our forward players, especially because of the profile of players they are, turning back and going, there isn't an opportunity here. I'm not going to force it. I'll just pass it back. And then like our defenders can catch up with our forwards. Because half the time it's like we've thrown four players into the box and then we tried a low percentage pass. And then like our defenders are still like coming up to the halfway line because they've just threaded the through ball from from their own box, right? So there's a big gap in our midfield. So yeah, um, it's it's very much live by the sword, die by the sword, and like much rather this than like sit in our own box for 60 minutes, you know? Um, but while we're imperfect in our execution, we're gonna we're gonna lack control of the game and we're gonna allow the opposition into the game. And it's like, yeah, again, you know, score two goals against Brentford. Uh, sorry, three goals against Brentford, score two goals against Everton, attacking in this manner, and that's great. But in both games had periods of time where we weren't in control at all. It's exhausting to watch, let alone play, right? So we're obviously gonna fade in and out of games that way. Um it generates a lot of corners for the opposition. And if they're good at corners, that's a problem for us right now. Yeah, I think I'm just really disappointed with... It's it's like I could you could see what we're trying to do, but it's, it's just not working. And we're ending up doing a little bit of something and then a lot of nothing else. And I... I I just, I don't think, I think maybe this is what he wants, but I just think there's, Postacoglu needs to take some responsibility here. I think there were decisions made in this game which which hampered us, especially trying to see it out, putting on an extra defender, putting on Skip and Hill, just really, it, it, it made the game become just a mess. And I think Spurs at the moment, when teams are able to make the game messy, like... Um, 
who's it like Wolves were able to and uh, West Ham could do it Forest to a certain extent as well when the game gets bitty we just seem unable to remove ourselves from the mire you know we just keep wandering more and more into the mud and it doesn't it doesn't suit us we we do lack control Nathan's explained it really nicely we do lack control and every time mudslinging starts we end up really bad and then really dirty and yeah this this stuff happens I I agree that it got messier after the subs, but like it was a mess to start, right? So like yeah. it only got more chaotic. But it's like it's tough. Like it's tough because of the state of our bench at the moment, um, the thinness of our squad, and also like the 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 fitness of the players who are starting. A lot of them are, you know, obviously not at their highest capacity. Um, and you know, Basuma's going to come back from Afghan, and it seems like maybe he had malaria, and he's like very much not going to be a, a full fitness either. So it's like you know. You want to bring a midfielder on where you've got Saar, who's coming from a back from a layoff, or sorry, back back from Afghan, um, and you've got Skip, who you know may, we've obviously got questions over his his overall uh, quality and capacity. It's like it's hard to strangle a game with with the bench that we have. It's probably worse to keep on exhausted players, you know, Madison dropping down with cramp in successive games, things like that. Um, so it, it's hard, and and changing to a back three, I you know it's about getting Dragushin minutes so that he can settle in. But I don't think the change of shape of doing this favors. We can see we essentially conceded three significant chances in this in this game, and they scored from two of them. Three significant chances. We conceded one just before Dragushin came on, and we moved to a back three, and we conceded one after. So it's hard to be like, oh. The back three is definitely a problem. It doesn't feel good. Is the only is the only analysis I have on that at the moment. It doesn't feel great. Um, it doesn't feel like an optimal use of our players. The soft penalties as well. There weren't penalties, but they were they were at, like openings on moments that happened just through just through mm. Dragusin being there. And I'm, this isn't saying he's a bad player. I just think trying to force him in just doesn't help our shape at all. Yeah, I've got I've got um, so much to say about what you've both just said. Um, I found this game quite an uncomfortable watch and it really did remind me of the Wolves game that Bardi referenced. Uh, really similar. I thought, you know, quick start, get the early goal. And then we didn't really kind of follow up with any uh, authority. Um, we had a really good spell at the start, I thought, where we backed up our attacking play really well and we 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 kept them penned in. But it didn't last long enough and we soon allowed them to get back in through their long balls down the channels, which they compete for really effectively. It's classic Deichpool. We saw it at Burnley for years. Punt the ball down the line, drag a team out of shape, get some supporting players up and try and work across into the box. And then, you know, even if you don't get on the end of the cross, you might win a corner or you might want to throw and then you can apply more pressure and more pressure and get the fans on your side and the opposition gets nervous. And, and we saw so much of that in this game. But I think um, I think what Nathan's alluding to, and, and what I think is the bigger problem is we lack control, and as a result of that lack of control, we're not creating our own chances. So we are becoming a team that um, can sometimes take the lead and then just sort of sit on it. Uh, and none of us want that. None of us want the kind of Mourinho experience of trying to manage a lead, especially not when you play football as frantic as Ange does. It's too risky. And we needed to create more chances and put the game to bed in this one because you could sort of see what was going to happen if we didn't. And that's what, what came to fruition. I think there are multiple reasons for it. I think absolutely the fitness of our players is a big, big factor. Udogi and Poro playing the first full seasons in English football, um, especially in Angeball, where a lot is asked of them, are really struggling at the moment for their fitness. And I think mm-hmm. that 
The drop-off in Poro's form has been significant. It's not that he's playing badly. It's just that he's not dominating games like he was five or six games ago. He was such a big creative outlet for us, and he's barely done any creating the last couple. Um, Udogi is... Uh, he's making a lot of errors. He's making a lot of errors at both ends of the pitch, I think. And that, I believe, is is tiredness. I think so. Uh, uh, mentally and physically, I think he's tired. And we don't have any viable alternatives to them. So you can understand why they've been been playing still. Likewise, Bentancur has come back. I think I've, you know, I, I made my, my stance clear on Bentancur in the last pod. I, I do worry about him since returning. I, I, I hope that he can get back to where he once was, but he really struggled against Brentford. And I, I thought that he'd be subbed at halftime and he was. And I thought he had just as poor game against Everton, to be honest. Uh, he's not his former self. He's not pressing like he was before. And that is a real, real pity. But also, he's very lackadaisical in possession. There's a lack of sharpness to his play. He's not thinking as quickly as he did pre-injury. Uh, and I think that's an issue. And Madison, obviously just back from injury, but I think has played more minutes in both of these games than ideally he would have done. And I think he suffered for it. He did some good things in both matches, but is clearly very, very rusty. And then you've got Kulosevsky, who is just exhausted and um we did a bit of rotating rotation and i'm sure that will help a little but it's like he needs a couple of full games off or a couple of weeks off to get the energy back in his legs before we go again for the rest of the season so i think that is a problem i think the thinness of the squad whilst these players are injured is is just as big a problem and this was another game where he kind of wanted Hoybier on the bench to come on for the last 15 minutes to see out the game but he's starting so you can't bring him on and because he's starting and hasn't started much this season, he is another one who it gets to 65, 70 minutes and he's had it. He's absolutely done. He can't cope with the pace of, of Angeball. And, you know, I was watching with my family and we were all saying, God, Hoibia needs to come off. He looks knackered. He, he's like blowing. He's not keeping up with the pace of the play. And that's on 60, 65 minutes. 10 minutes later, he's, he's causing problems for us because he hasn't been able to come off. And then when he does come off, it's it's Dragushin who comes on, and it's because I believe not for one. I don't believe it's Ange wanting to move to a back five. I think it's just that he's the next in line in yeah. terms of senior players, and and so he's bringing on Dragushin for Hoybier, meaning there's a change in shape. And I think that confused our players. I think it it created more chaos for us than it did for Everton, and it, it worked against us. And of course, we do need to have a conversation about the set pieces because they've been relevant in both games. I mean, Nathan Nathan produced a really good video on this uh, post Everton, which I think summed it up really well. But I was so frustrated because the first couple of corners Everton had, certainly the first corner, I'm not sure if it, I think the second as well. Uh, Tarkovsky was on Vicario. He was there to stop him jumping, there to stop him having a run at the ball. And we responded by bringing in Bentancourt to to add a layer of protection to 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 sandwich Tarkovsky in between Bentancourt and Vicario, which meant that Tarkovsky was the one hampered by his positioning. And I thought it worked really well. And we defended those corners well as results. And then what happened, Everton changed it up. They moved Tarkovsky away and they brought in Jack Harrison, who didn't stand directly next to Vicario. But as the ball's coming over, he moves towards Vicario and stops him moving. Mm. And we had no response to that. And it happened three, four, five, six, maybe seven times like by the end of the game. 
from different types of set pieces. And we had no response to it. And and Yedinak's there. And I'm thinking, this is the guy who manages our defensive set pieces. Is he not getting a message across? Like, is this Vicario's choice that he wants a free run at the ball? Or is it like the on-field captains who need to decide? But essentially, we did nothing. And then eventually, it led to, to the, the equaliser. Um, and it caused enough chaos. That I think it also, sorry, it led to the goal, first goal back. Yeah. I mean, it caused enough chaos. That I believe it also led to the equaliser because we don't know how to defend the set pieces at that stage. Um, different kind of ball in a case. So may, maybe I'm exaggerating the point a bit there, but it was a real problem. And this is going to be a problem all season, as Nathan points out in his video. So we need to come up with a fix. And it was annoying because on another day, Romero gets more on his header and it goes out for a corner rather than going to Branthwaite. And we get away with a, a scrappy win away at Everton, which is a great result in the grand scheme of things. Um, but alas, we probably got what we deserved. I, I think Vicario needs to do better here. The, my concern is that after, after the Man City game, I spoke about something I'd heard Shea Given talk about regarding someone marking the goalkeeper. And then we didn't see that. And that's fair enough. If Vicario opts not to have a defender there, then that gives him more space. But I just think he he's at, he's at fault here. I know this is they're targeting goalkeepers, but not teams aren't conceding goals every single or that there's not this isn't happening for every single team on every single corner. I think Vicario needs to be better here. I think the second half he was miles better. He was coming for the ball. He he got backed into, but he hadn't moved. You know, he had never made a movement or a step towards a ball. And it's almost like the referees are, if the goalkeeper's being passive, he's allowing that block to happen. Whereas if he starts coming for the ball and then he's officially blocked off rather than just being a barrier, then I think that's where the referee might call it. So I think Vicario, first of all, needs to help himself by going to get the ball which he did really well in the second half. And I think even their second goal, he was so far back that when the flick-on happened, he was still on his goal line. So had he taken a couple of steps forward, I think he just intercepts that that cross. So I think Vicario needs to think about his goalkeeping. Um, a lot of these goals are quite, kind of similar to his Empoli ones as well. Because I looked at all the goals he conceded. I never looked at the, his saves, which is perhaps why I got a bit skewed in my, in my view of his <laughs> shot stopping. But I do think he needs to be more proactive. And it's not, not to do about being big. Nathan spoke about Alisson. Alisson is, a, is an absolute giant. It's not about him being bigger or need to bulking up. I think he just needs to be more assertive. And just go get it. Go get it. Take everybody. And once he's in the air, if he's touched when he's in the air, it's a foul immediately because you can't take a goalkeeper out when he's in the air. So just come get him. Just go full Bartes. Maybe. Maybe maybe that's maybe there's I mean I don't know shit all about goalkeeping right so I d- I don't know but what I did in my my short video um is I showed examples of a number of refere- uh, referees a number of goalkeepers <laughs> uh, struggling with the same situation to to show that it's not just Vicario who has this problem that, mm. that this is a um this is a consistent situation in the league this season um I don't know it, it feels like um for a long time people have been saying oh goalkeepers have too much protection and then in the summer the refs have sat down and go oh people think goalkeepers have too much protection so let's stop protecting goalkeepers and now there's like a free for all <laughs> <laughs> right and again 
it doesn't interest me too much to be like this is morally right or this is morally wrong the <laughs> correct way to officiate goalkeepers because it's the question is really like what kind of sport do you want to have um and you know do you do you want do you want every corner to be an extremely physical affair with pushing and shoving do you want rugby scrums or do you want the opposite extreme where like penalties are given on like <laughs> three out of every 10 corners or whatever you know whatever it, it doesn't bother me too much as a as a as a fanalist <laughs> my perspective is you know adapt adapt to whatever the situation is so again what i do in the video is i i look at what brentford do because whatever brentford do is always the best thing and they go hard on protecting their goalkeeper he's they don't just have a player stood there ready they have like an active shoving match going on uh and there was a suggestion that like romero got told off for doing that but i haven't seen that on on a rewatch and i think if he is call the referee's bluff make him blow it up mm-hmm. and if we concede a penalty on the first occasion then then it becomes a headline i think and and and, and we draw more attention to the situation because like i don't know why why, why do they get to shove us but we don't get to shove them basically um so yeah i think we've got to be proactive i will defend um Yedinak and the players because in a given game it's really hard to adapt on the fly and in the week since the the occasion where Ruben Diaz jumped into Vicario um we've had like two matches in only a few days very limited training time I think it's pretty tough uh, this is the stage where like I'm looking to the next game and I'm saying we need to have something ready for the next game now 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 there's no excuse for for Brighton um so yeah, I'm looking to see something for Brian. And then, like I said on the last episode, um, also start putting Van der Ven on the opposition keeper so that he can't jump anywhere. The thing that frustrated me most, though, is that we did adapt. We had Bentancourt doing that shielding work for the first couple, and then we stopped, and it was because Tarkovsky moved away. And I assume Bentancourt was Tarkovsky's yeah. allocated man-marker. So. so you lose what the job that he was doing for the sake of man-marking the player, and that frustrated me. The the other thing with what changed is that Everton stopped doing it in the second half. They stopped putting a man on Vicario in the second half, um, which is very suspicious. Why would you stop doing something that was clearly working? They asked Sean Dyche about this after the game. Do you know what he said? He said Jack Harrison forgot. Do you believe that? No, you just realised you couldn't get away with it twice, probably. My suspicion, and this is totally speculative, um, my suspicion is that referee rewatched the goal at half time and then went and had a word with Sean Dyche and said, I'm going to call that up next time you do it. And they stopped doing it. That's That would be my guess because why would you stop doing something that's clearly working so well? Mm. I mean, roughing up goalkeepers. I think that would be really strange. Roughing up goalkeepers is nothing new. It's been happening for, for ages and then maybe they did get a bit sure. defensive. Stoke, Stoke were doing it all the time. Stoke used to trip up Gomez when the lap used to throw it in. They used to like someone stick their leg out and impede the goalkeeper. I think Spurs, I think everybody could just, just get a bit more fucking gammon on it. Just get a bit more, stick your head on it. Like you said, unleash Van der Ven. Let's not, let's be less avocado toast and just get up him as well. Just... You know, like you say, or, look at the size or, of Van der Ven or, or Richarlison. Yeah, somebody. use Richarlison. Like he's a he's an absolute menace. Like he's a really good front post screen. So you'd be losing that, but he's got enough in him to like, like enough um, <laughs> foul selling ability mm. and spite to do the job effectively. I believe. Um, the other thing, just in relation to Nathan's suggestion that that something was said at halftime, and and in relation to Bardi's point about being a bit more gammon. Like I think, I do think the Premier League needs to be more consistent about how this rule is applied. 
Um, like that to me, there's a very clear cutoff here. I I have absolutely no problem with Jack Harrison standing next to Vicario and stopping him having a free run. There's that is not a foul. That is not obstruction because he has as much right to stand there yeah. as Vicario has to stand on his line. Like Vicario standing where he stands is also a choice. Hmm. Like the goalkeeper can stand wherever he likes and he's chosen to be there. Harrison can stand wherever he likes and he's chosen to be there. There's no difference between him in these circumstances. The issue for me comes when there's holding involved. And we often see holding in the box. And I do think that is an unfair advantage because, and it should be called as a foul. Um, it's happened a couple of times in attacking set pieces for us recently where we've had players grabbed and held back. And I think they should be given as penalties. And I think a couple of those given as penalties and it soon stops happening. On this matter, there is no consistency at the moment. You're getting some called as fouls, others not. And so players don't know where they stand. Fans don't know where they stand. And it's it's very frustrating for all concerned. So I think we need a clear statement from the Premier League about what is and isn't a foul. Some clarification that you are indeed allowed to stand next to a goalkeeper. And if that is the case, then we need to bring in a bodyguard for Vicario to, to help him out in the situations. Yeah, but Vicario needs to invite the foul, in my opinion. He needs to make a make a proper meal of it. And the only way you can make a proper meal of it is to go for it and then get really blocked off and take a good old dive. I think trying to be the nice guy and trying to edge your way around him without causing too much issue is 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 what's happening here. Just needs to go through a player. And then he was trying to get to the ball and he was blocked off. And then that's a foul. And when he did do that, he was really effective mm. as well. Like he, he claimed one and he punched several and I thought he did a really decent job with it. He just, like you say, he needs to decide what he's going to do and be definitive about it. And before we move on to the Brentford game, just a massive shout out to Richarlison for, for those two finishes, both exquisite in their own way. I, mean, I think, weirdly, I think I prefer the first goal. I thought it was such a strong finish with his left foot, weaker foot, often uh, has been a... An issue for him, finishing with his left, but just brilliant, absolutely brilliant reaction, movement, like or lack of movement, just holding his position, and then perfect weighting of the strike into the top of the net. The second, obviously, delightful curler, um, really nice footwork from Madison. Um, and Richarlison's in incredible, incredible form at the moment for us. He's like been our best player for, what, three of the last four matches? Yeah. Maybe. Um, I can't believe really, it's the really same impressive. guy. Are you, are you getting nervous, Bardi? No, I'm not. I'm happy. I'm very happy. I hope he scores more and faster. But I can't believe this is the same guy. That first goal, it, it bubbled to him and he just swept it in mm. Harry Kane style. In August, he could barely <laughs> yeah. stand up. In August, he couldn't move. He couldn't kick. He couldn't head. Nothing. And yeah, he's just, he's just, whatever they fixed in that operation, they really did fix it because he's, he's a totally different human being now. Uh, do I start uh, wearing a suit pre-match uh, when he's on 14 goals or 13 goals? <laughs> a lot of people are asking about what you're going to spend the money on. It's not for, it's for charity. It was always has been for charity right from the start. Tottenham, yeah, uh, the Tottenham food bank. I'll buy myself a little tree anyway, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so happy to see him do so well. Let's play a little game of who's missing. In 2014, Poch was a bit under pressure following a run of only two wins from six league games when Brighton came to visit in the League Cup. But who is missing from this lineup? In goal, we got Vorm. Our defence, left to right, is Davies, Supiyan, Blankety Blank and Norton. In midfield, there's Lennon, Dembele, Stambouli and Blankety Blank. Up top, Kane and Soldado. Who are the two players missing from these lineups? Jesus. 2014. 2014. <laughs>
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, I, <laughs> you gave me the first blank as a centre-back and I was thinking about him and I stopped paying attention. Can you run me through midfield and forwards again? Midfield is Lennon, Dembele, Stambouli and blankety-blank and up top are Kane and Soldado. Uh, uh, Nasser Chadley? He was on the bench. That's not who oh, started the game. Okay. Um, did we still have Kabul at that start? At that point, was he playing centre-back? Nope. Kabul did not feature in this game. So, okay. So let's, let's go with Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer was on the bench. Okay. It's rotation for a League Cup match, isn't yeah. it? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. which players made the cup? Who? Kevin Vimmer? No, I don't think Kevin Vimmer joined then because he joined when Sonny, close to when Sun came. He wouldn't be playing on the right, would he? Kirikez? He was on the bench. <laughs> well, I'm storming <laughs> through the bench, no problem. That's great. <laughs> Maybe we need a couple of hints on these two. He, um, the, the midfielder... Townsend's? Townsend is the midfielder. Very well done. Yep. And Josh Townsend started in midfield. Great shout. And the defender, there's not many centre backs left from that era. So would it be Alderweireld? No, he was a big chap. Oh, uh, Fazio. Fazio. Fazio is the oh, player. Oh, God. Federico Fazio. On the bench alongside uh, Kiriches and Dyer was Paulinho, Lamella, who came on to score, Friedel, and uh, Mason. The goal scorers were Lamella and Kane. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. As simple as the Everton tactic of just chucking it in the mixer, which is kind of what taking AG1 is like. I wake up, I walk the dog, come home, and then go all Sean Deitch. I get the shaker, chuck in a scoop, and give it a good mix, and then get it down me. But that's where the differences end. You see, Everton are a bunch of potatoes and giants, whereas AG1 is a bustling scoop of goodness. Each ingredient has undergone the strangest of testing to make sure it's the highest quality and does exactly what it's supposed to do. It also tastes great, which is something I don't think you can say about Everton's bruises. AG1 is part of my daily set-piece routine, but it's refined, it's fruity, it's jam-packed full of goodness, and it gets me off to a cracking start every day. Make AG1 part of your morning set-piece routine. Scoop and shake it, mate. If there's one product we had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why we partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch that's drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch check it out so the brentford match i believe may have featured the first unenforced half-time substitutions under Ange Postacoglu. I, I certainly can't think of any others i feel like the, i feel um, like there was one but i can't remember who or what game or whatever so okay go with it it felt like a big deal anyway it felt like um a statement 
Uh, he'd made some rotation for the game. He'd, he'd brought in Skip and Madison was back for Hoybier and, and Brennan Johnson. And there were some really rough performances in the first half, I thought. And, you know, Neil Morpé was winding everyone up and we were getting sucked in, as Ange put it. Um, yeah. And it just wasn't a good it wasn't a good first half performance at all. Uh, I could see him taking Ben Tanker off. I also thought, to be honest, he was going to take Madison off, such was Madison's lack of fitness. But instead it was Skip, which in some ways felt a bit harsh because it wasn't like Skip had done anything materially terrible, but also he just kind of wasn't doing a great deal. Like he'd had two thirds of the touches of the other midfielders. So he's kind of just uninvolved. Um, but anyway, he brought on, it was Hoybier and Johnson. who else? Johnson came yep. on, didn't he? Yeah, and he moved Kulisevsky inside um, for this kind of sicko Angeball midfield. <laughs> and no doubt we were better in the second half. I, th- I thought that was pretty clear. Um, any any takeaways from this match? Yeah, you um, you wanted me to record a podcast with you in the evening after the game. And uh, and I refused because I needed to rewatch it because I was kind of occupied during the start of the second half and we scored three goals. And I wanted to I wanted to better understand the substitutions at halftime. So in the first half, um, we uh, Brentford sort of sat off us quite a bit. They sort of occasionally uh, pressed us, and then they like looked to surprises with their press, and that's where the turnovers came from. But um, most of the time, they were essentially defending the space in front of their own box with like eight players, right? Which is also where we were trying to, uh, to make all of our attacks and we do combination plays and cute little one twos in just a completely crowded, crowded area. And uh, yeah, nothing was nothing was coming out of that. Um, we had Kudosevsky on the right, who obviously uh, wants to receive the ball to feet and then try to build something from that and always cuts it onto his left and can't beat his man from a standing start. Um, and he was very much uh, making us narrow. And then Werner obviously can do more of a wise thing, um, but as a right-footed player, without space to break into, is also going to help us inside, right? Um and I think both of them had fairly narrow starting positions as well. So then clearly there was an instruction. We need to play a lot wider. We need to stretch Brentford out. So, um, and also as a side note, uh, Bentoncourt was like positioning quite aggressively and also get involved in being like one of the several sort of number 10s that we were playing all at once. <laughs> right. And um wasn't wasn't totally there defensively. So Hoybier for Bentacle makes sense. He's going to come on with an instruction to remain a little deeper, a little more secure. Allows Kulisevsky to move into midfield, and then you can play with two out and out like uh, attacking number eights. So better better rest defense, as they call it. Better situation to deal with counter attacks. And then you move Johnson onto the wing. You've got a wide player there who will stay on the touchline, who's outside footed in this scenario. You can instruct Werner to play wide on the left. So. Second half, we'll go in, we'll do the same thing, but we'll stretch Brentford wider. We'll get those wing backs out of the way and open up some space in the middle. What happened is Brentford also changed what they were doing at halftime and Brentford came out to press in the second half. And the moment they started pressing us, we had like full pitch, the same thing I was just complaining about in the Everton game. The, they're coming out to press us, quick pass, pass, pass and sprint and through and we just got through and scored three goals and we never needed to see <laughs> any of the width in possession stuff because I think we would have scored probably the same goals if Brentford pressed in the same way in the first half. So in the end, the tactical changes, at least the decision to go wider didn't seem to make 
any actual effect on how the game played out. But obviously, Hoibia for Bentancur is going to have a, a sort of a multifaceted effect on the rest of the game. But like, but once we scored those three goals and Brentford um, stopped getting so aggressive in their own pressing game, we didn't create much more after that, right? So whether that substitution would have worked if Brentford had carried on defending in the same way is a total guess as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I wasn't very happy with the... I wasn't very happy with the game. I thought we I thought we played all right the first 15 minutes. I kind of liked how we were yeah. playing. There was a bit of control to it. Uh like everything that's everything of Spurs at the moment seems to be moments. There needs to there are moments where we attack and then there's moments where we get attacked. And I I, I don't like it. I I'm very much more into into a kind of thing of let's just let's tr- control the game and I thought we did that really well the first 15 minutes and then it fell apart. I'm just I'm happy we were able to hit them with a couple of nice punches and score some good goals, but I'm just a bit a bit concerned about this lack of control and it seems to be getting wilder and wilder and that's kind of what we saw at Everton as well. I hope this isn't a pattern that continues, especially because we've got Brighton coming next and I think they're a kind of team that could really punish us for these these kind of in, in quick transition. Um, yeah, I wasn't delighted by the performance, but I was obviously happy with the, the points. And we were, we were a little unfortunate with the goals we conceded in this one. Sure. Udogi making mistakes that I think were uncharacteristic. I mean, the second one, I I believe to be completely forgivable. It's a freak that that happened. Yeah, Tony, Tony is yeah. down injured. And then, you know, we, we, we need to pass the ball back to the goalkeeper. But Van der Ven's telling Udogi to yeah. pass it back, not knowing that Tony is right by Vicario. And, and Udogi plays it blind. Not ideal, but it happens. And I, I don't believe that will ever be repeated. And it's just a freak. The first one he dallies and there were other moments where he dallied and lost possession as well and and that's I believe down to him, him being tired mentally physically as I said before and uh and, and the rest will fix that so there, there was some misfortune there I also thought we got unfortunate with Norgard being allowed to just make yellow card offense after yellow card offense yeah. without getting a yellow card and I think a good referee ends that pretty quickly and they're not able to behave and play in the way they want to play, and certainly not with arguably their best player, perhaps other than Tony, um, on the pitch because he'd have had to have been substituted or he'd have been sent off. Um, so that was unfortunate as well. But there was a lot to be frustrated about with with this game and the kind of the seven minute spell where we just blitzed them kind of covered over those elements. I, I think um, I really liked what Ange had to say after the match about the Neil Morpé stuff he said um we, we got sucked in and we're much better in the second half he was kind of cross with madison about that as well but i especially liked what he said about the halftime subs which was i think it probably did brendan a little bit of good as well because he's played a lot for us recently he could sit and watch the game a bit maybe get a little bit of a different perspective he was good when he came on good that he got his goal pierre helped us start the second half getting a foothold in the game i i, I thought they were very um wise comments i like the idea of johnson being able to watch the game watch the manageable from the touchline and then be able to put it into practice and basically score for his first touch um on hoibier Matt DeWild says, it feels like Hoybier is a drug that Ange can't quit or maybe a medicine he wants to avoid taking but still does. It feels like so many times this year he's been the sub or part of a sub that have turned the game around for us. Like Ange has a Hoybier-free version of how he wants things to work but often has to say, shit, get the fucking Viking on. Do you think there's something to that? If Basuma was available, could he have played the role Hoybier played against Brentford? I know he's going to leave in the summer but we, we would without a doubt have fewer points this year if we didn't have him and I think we need a, a role player in his mould. Body. 
I mean, his um, stats are points per game when he starts is pretty abysmal. And I, I, but Hjoiberg is not the first manager to to really suck on the the Hjoiberg crap hype. They all did it. My manager did it all the time. You couldn't stop. He was addicted to him. Uh, <laughs> Jose did it as well. And I'm not surprised. Schoenberg must do some magic stuff on the training ground. But I, I, right now, I don't think there's any. There's no other alternative to him. It's either Schoenberg or nobody. So that's why he's getting minutes. It should have happened. He didn't want to leave. Fair enough. It's not. It's his prerogative. He can stay if he wants to stay. Um, hopefully, Basuma coming back changes that. But I still think we'll see a hell of a lot of Schoenberg for the rest of the season. It will be his farewell tour. Then, then we could pack him off somewhere else. Definitely a continuation of the trend of like when he starts, he's the problem. When he comes on, he's the solution, right? Yeah, does feel that way. And I think I'm craving Basuma's return in so many ways. Like I've really missed Basuma. Yeah. Uh, but I think we'll see plenty of Hoybier still mm. and it'll hopefully be off the bench. Yeah, I think um, Spurs fans are beginning to turn a little on Basuma um, prior to him going away um, to AFCON uh, for some sort of quieter performances. Um, but I do think that his exact profile uh, is significant in our lack of control, both off the ball and on the ball. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that changes. But I think it's going to take a while because, again, he I don't think he's he's close to match fitness. I don't know if he's ready to start games or certainly see them out. So, uh, I mean, hopefully, I guess that means that uh, Hoiberg returns to the bench and then can come on to change the game <laughs> for us, uh, you know, at 60 minutes on a regular basis. But yeah, I don't think Basuma's... Um, uh, there at, for for us just yet, unfortunately. Talking about missing players, Jesse Schneiderman says, I was thinking about missing Sonny in the first half of the Brentford match. It seems like his value is as much his gravity, meaning how defenders have to account for his movement and shooting as it is in his actual movement and shooting. Is there anything other than we're better with Sonny to this? We're, we're definitely we're definitely better with Sonny. Like, obviously, there's no doubt that, but, but I do think that we are adequately replacing the majority of his profile with Werner, except that they are obviously on opposite ends of the finishing uh, extremes, right? <laughs> there's um, there's a really good book, which they turned into a half-decent movie it's called World War Z, World War Z. And there's yeah. like a theory in it that if a zombie apocalypse is around the corner, what do you do? Everybody just pulls their teeth out and then no one can get turned into a zombie because you can't bite anymore. And I think Werner's like that. He's like, he's like someone that's had their teeth pulled out so he can't bite you because he does so many good things, man. He gets down the line. He offers a threat. His movement, his movement is like messy, but he's just got no bite. He's got nothing to him. And I think that's 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 the big issue with Werner right now, that his goal threat, there is no goal threat. And it's right, when Sonny's there, perhaps his movement and his um, passing isn't quite as good as Werner, but he scares people, man, because he could just bite and just turn things. Whereas Werner, nah, no, no, no. He's like Havertz, him and Havertz running through on goal. There's just, I've got no faith in that ball going into the back of the net. Yeah, they're... Um... There was a pretty strong chance for him in this game, but I felt like everyone in the stadium, everyone watching at home, and him himself knew that he wasn't putting it away. <laughs> and it's just like it's just like a non-fact, like you said, like he's yeah. a toothless, a toothless non-zombie. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also think there is enough in Werner oh, yeah. 
as a as an assist threat that mean that he's valuable at the moment. Um, and I think his work rate is really excellent as well. You know, kind of ideal for the Angeball in that sense. There was a relentlessness to his game. I think once Son's back and Werner's rotating or coming off the bench, um, that's quite a sort of mouth-watering proposition. The idea of him coming on on 70 minutes to kind of finish teams off because, my goodness, have we lacked that with the options we've had available to us. But he doesn't finish. There is no finish to it. There is no finish. So if you're if there's a counterattack happening and Werner's through, the defence can kind of, they can hedge their bets. Do you remember when Sissoko was through on goal and he was fronting up Van Dijk? And Van Dijk just went, okay, I'm going to Mark's son and just let him run through. <laughs> yeah. it, it does, it has an impact because if, if Sonny's on a counterattack, a defender's got a really difficult decision to make. I need to close down the ball and try and cover the guy. And sometimes they can't do either. At the moment with Werner, what you would do is, I guess you just let him have a, a kind of freer run and, and cut off the danger from the pass. And I think that's an issue. That he's not going to come off the bench and scare people because, oh, hello, here's someone that can score 10 goals a season. Hmm. That's my issue with him. I think, uh, I think if we uh, activate the option for Werner in the summer that we need a new bet on Werner for next <laughs> season, Vardy. To somebody was, what did we said? Five league goals? Is that we, we didn't have a bet, but between us, I think we said five league goals would be a, a great return. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to see that. No, but I will definitely take five assists. He's probably close to that already, right? Yeah, I think he's <laughs> I'll done... Take 10 assists for sure. I think he's done more uh, assists for us than he did in like a, a whole half season at Leipzig so far of us. He has been good, but I think at some point his lack of goal threat has got to come back and haunt us. Okay, so we'll finish off by touching on the transfer window. Uh, obviously, we ended with a signing, uh, which was exciting. Less exciting because we can't have that signing now, which is feels a bit of a frustration, but we've seen uh, how successful that model can be with, with Pat Matassar and Destiny Doggy. So we signed Lucas Bergvall. Uh, Nathan, take it away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just on the like, he's not being loaned back. <laughs> this is a this is a, a principal agreed unregistered summer signing, which again is something I've spoken about. Is like we should be we should be doing these all the time. We should be agreeing these all the time because like um the window closed on the first and he turned 18 on the second, and we couldn't legally sign him while he was not an adult. Whereas I think Barcelona can. Because of Brexit. Because, because um, catalexit <laughs> uh, hasn't occurred yet. Um, uh, so he had to he had to forgo an immediate transfer to arrange this summer transfer, and he, he chose us over Barcelona. And it's like, you know, the reason Dragushin chose us over Bayern, the reason that Nusa was looking to choose Brentford over us, it's all the same reason, right? It seems like Barcelona wanted him for their academy, whereas we're looking at him as a at least potential um, first team member. So Bogvall, huh, I need to take a second to think about how big I want to go on this. Um, people talk about this player, this 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 teenager um as being like a playmaker they're like denmark have ericsson norway have Erdegaard, and now sweden has bergfall and it's like i don't think that's who he is at all i don't think he he doesn't remind me of madison he doesn't remind me of de bruyne he reminds me of frankie de jong and 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 in that profile what i mean is a really really technically gifted yes and that and those things he shares with those playmakers, uh, but a really technically gifted carrier of the ball, a box to box 
technically very pretty, very skillful player who gets shot in the box. And this is the aspect of this game that people aren't talking about. This guy moves in the box real nice. <laughs> this guy arrives in the box for shots. And not just foot shots, this teenager is leaping, right? This this kid's got a head on him. A blonde, uh, very <laughs> square jaw. <laughs> and he can, he can head the ball. Um, this is... For me, the profile that we were looking at when we were looking at Gallagher, when we were looking at Ramsey, mm-hmm. he can play um, as an up-and-down number eight. He can sit in a two-man midfield, or he can play ahead of the ball and just focus on getting shots in the box. This is this is the profile that we're looking at. Someone who can, who can allow us to lean more towards a 4-2-3-1 or lean more towards a 4-3-3 and let Madison come towards the ball more. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's like, he's a teenager, um, he's literally an adult as of a, just a couple of days ago. He's been playing in not a high tier league. So um, it's hard to speculate about his immediate level, but obviously the talent is huge. But in terms of the profile, this is this is, this is is absolutely the profile. Gets up and down, decent defensive work, shots in the box, outstanding ball carrier. I watched the compilation that I imagine everyone watched, which was the the Lucas Bergvall Welcome to Barcelona Welcome to Barcelona on YouTube. Um which is is breathtaking. Uh makes him look like the greatest player there's ever been and ever will be. Um but the player he reminded me of the most when watching that compilation was Musa Dembele. So it kind of does tally a little with with what you're saying. And it was um the way he he moves past his opponents that I found Dembele like. He goes past them. He tempts them in mm. and they know what he's going to do. They know he's going to drop his shoulder or dribble like off to his right. He's always using his right foot every single time. And yet they can't stop him. He's too good. He's too, he's, his balance is too good. His weight is planted correctly every single time. And he just gets away and he accelerates past them just like Dembele did on his left foot. Um, and, and that's why he reminded me of him. Obviously he's getting a lot more shots in the box than Dembele or certainly latter stage Dembele did. Um, but Dembele started off as a, as a player to get shots in the box. Um, so yeah, that was the comparison that, that I immediately thought of when watching his compilation. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I guess like obviously Dembele was like ultra, ultra secure, whereas Bergvall is, is considerably more risk-taken and he will he will lose the ball, unlike Dembele, who, who never lost the ball. He'll also take yeah. risks with his passes occasionally. Um, but most of the time he plays safe with his passes and this is where he's like, he's not anything like De Bruyne and Madison Eriksen, Odegaard. Um, a lot, most of his pass, passes are backwards, sideways, safe, secure, simple. Occasionally he'll, he'll have a cross, occasionally he'll have a through ball, but he's not, his game isn't built around those things and that's why he's not a, a playmaker for me. He's a, he's a box-to-box number eight. The other uh, interesting point I thought at the end of the transfer window is that Paul O'Keefe, who everyone knows has some connections at Spurs and uh, is kind enough to share some information he gets on on X, he said that we are looking towards an attacker, a midfielder and a centre-back in the summer. And I must admit, I found that quite odd that, that that's where our, our list of targets lay. Um, because for me, I, I would want a left back and a right back as an absolute priority and then maybe an attacker but we need to make a decision now on a decision on Werner before we decide that um possibly maybe and then we need to figure out what we're going to do with the midfield and whether Bergvall fits in whether Divine and Donnelly fit in and who else fits in um but Bardi are you surprised that we want an attacker midfielder and centre-back as Um, priorities as a rule I don't let ITK bother me (laughs) of course of course you should have known this was coming Wendy come on (laughs) 
Okay, let's let's assume that that is not ITK, but is Spurs Spurs' shopping list for the summer? How would you I'd feel about that? I'd be a bit that? concerned that we don't have replacements for Poro and Destiny. Yeah, I'd be a bit worried, but I'm not because you know, I think I think the the best thing to ever happen to ITK is without. I don't want to go into and make a weekly complaint, but the word hijacked is now something. Look what you've done. <laughs> yeah, you do. Hijacked has now become the vocabulary of ITKs. Where if something doesn't happen, oh, it was hijacked. So um, maybe that's our shopping list, but we could always hijack that shopping list and have another shopping list if it doesn't work out for us. Uh, I also have a very body-like answer to this question, which is um, this happens a lot. Um, it happens in like um, reputable uh, mass media journalism as well as it happens to like a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, which is that like what we've heard is centre-back, but what that might have been three, you know, whispers mm. ago was defender. Mm. And what was meant by defender mm. three whispers before that was a fullback, you know? So I always take, like, I, I know that, for example, Paul O'Keefe, um, uh, along with a few others, um, are involved in various relevant discussions. But I always take their their own interpretation of that message with a significant pinch of salt. Mm. So a centre-back might be a full-back, <laughs> for all you know. Yeah, I guess that's a really good point. Or it could be um, Hiroki Ito, who plays both yes. centre-back and full-back. I hope it is. Um, I really hope it is. I mean, you, yeah. you could take... Yeah, I mean, I'm just... You could take just, that shopping list of attacker, midfielder, centre-back, copy-paste that into every single team, pretty much every single team in the Premier League. <laughs> it's so generic that uh, I don't... I'm not saying Paul O'Keefe doesn't know his stuff. I'm just saying that it doesn't mean anything. I guess so. And I think Nathan's argument is a strong one. I, I think for me, the absolute top priority for this summer has to be in the fullback position. I hope we're watching eight Nori at Wolves because I think he would be a really good Udogi um, backup. And I hope we're watching Alfie Doughty for Luton because I think he'd make a really good Pedro Porro backup also. Um, but I know Ito is, is supposedly very good too and Nathan's a big fan. So... Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of work to do in the summer. And until then, though, we we we've got some players coming back, and we've got a pretty strong squad. If, as long as Basuma can be back within the next two or three matches, I feel like we'll see some improvements again. You have been listening to the Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nathan. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreoncom inch Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.